Welcome to the Get Offset Podcast. I'm a. <laughs> my name is Emily. Uh, my name is Andrew, and don't be so hard on yourself. It happens. As you know that meme, watch people that that Reddit watch people die inside. I swear to God, it would have been just like that. Would have. Oh my gosh. And joining us today is Clint, our good friend. Hi, I'm Clint, and I practice loving and accepting myself. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show. So for those of you wondering uh, what's going on with Emily's self-deprecation, uh, all of us collectively have been talking for about the last 15, 20 minutes now. And oh I hit uh, the intro and I didn't hit record. And it, it happens. So we are here. We, we got our vocal cords warmed up. You guys missed out on a little bit of goofiness. Um, I think to recap is I got stung by a bee and I deserved it. <laughs> Uh, Clint got stung by a bee and possibly deserved it. Yeah, I deserved it. You shouldn't. You shouldn't expect your hives barefoot. Let's put it that way. And Emily had a uh, had an experience on Reverb where she sold something that was working fine when she sent it. Buyer claimed it didn't work and then refused to give any evidence for it. Ended yeah. up getting itself sorted out. Emily is soon to Getting receive it back, back in the mail. Yeah, it's chicken um, and tomorrow. I'm going to film a, a re-unboxing of it. Uh, none of us are convinced. Uh, and, of course, I'm speaking on Clint's behalf here because I definitely had a chance to hear his opinion. Uh, lie. I didn't get his opinion. But I'm assuming his opinion is uh, we don't think it was actually broken. It was user error because it was an envelope filter. Those can be difficult to use. And based on the video that we were sent for troubleshooting, uh, it looks like there was just some issues with the input levels and that the, yeah. the user was giving. So. Basically, the thing about an envelope filter is if if you don't turn up the volume on your instrument, it's probably not going to work. Wow, wait a woman explain to me how envelope filters work. <laughs> That's not a thing. <laughs> I appreciate That's it. That's not a thing. I get confused with my pills, too. Yeah, so uh, uh, I remember the guy in the last video, and it kind of, when he turns all the knobs, it sounds like you can hear that very fank thwomp thwomp. And the and the acoustic amplifier he's using with his bass guitar, <laughs> and uh, I sent him a message and it said, "Just said two quick, quick uh, just three quick questions, uh, just a little bit of troubleshooting. One is the volume turned up all the way on your bass guitar. Two, if it is, do you know what the output of your pickups is? And three, just in general, have you tried it with another instrument? He just, he kind of went off, to be honest. He's like, I'm not going to send you another video. I bought this for this rig. It doesn't work for me. Like, okay, well, just send it back and I'm getting my, I'm getting my restocking fee. So. Right. I mean, if, if a buyer is, or if a seller is trying to be helpful. So here, here's my takeaway. If you buy something off of reverb and it, and you are having issues with it out of the box, message the seller and if they're willing to work with you and help you troubleshoot and get to the bottom of it that is excellent customer service you don't even yeah. get that in like some guitar shops you're like it's not working right they're like okay leave uh yeah. well thank you for saying that because so, i felt like i was trying to give excellent service i think that's that is going above and beyond and i think everyone who receives that kind of service back if, if it does turn out to be broken that's fine but they're trying to work with you and so why be why be why be mean? You know, no. life's too short to be mean and entitled and all Karen y. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I mean, and he said that he thought the pedal was going to blow up his amp. I'm like, it's an envelope filter, my guy. Like, I don't. 
Uh, I do love hyperbole. It's it's a it's an effective form of communication. Uh, in certain, it is. It is a, a very effective form of communication. In certain circumstances, um, you know, I would go as far as to say it's effective in all circumstances. Oh my God, <laughs> I see what you did there. So, um, hey. Clint, hey, you're gonna blow so up my Clint, yeah, with hyperbole. I- <laughs> so, uh, just so y'all know, um, some of some of the listeners might might know Clint from the oldie Facebook groups. And uh, his his brother Cole is one of the hosts of the Gear Slum, but Clint cool. is a, a, a guitarist in his own right and also an intellectual property lawyer. Yeah, how exciting is that? I think I think it's pretty stinking exciting. <laughs> I think you have some exciting guitars. Yeah, I've I've been through a lot of guitars, you know, buying and selling and trading. I only have a few now, and it's weird because uh, in this room I'm in, this this spare bedroom that has become my office since quarantine, I've got an Ernie Ball St. Vincent, which is very cool. Um, Those are phenomenal. I had my eye on it for, like, years before I finally found a used one that I really liked. It's the original blue, and it's beautiful. Oh, I love those guitars. They're so cool looking. (laughs) Yeah, and the neck is awesome. And then downstairs, I have one of Kevin Equitt's uh, Rayburns, which nice. is very cool. Oh, always a good choice. He makes such great guitars. I want to yeah. buy one someday. <laughs> yeah, and not just design one. <laughs> I want to buy one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got lucky with this one. It was uh, it was for a charity. Oh, that's um, right. But the charity, you know, the charity didn't really appreciate handmade instruments and so it didn't sell and he said hey someone needs to buy this they'll get a good deal and you won't have to wait two years and i said i could do that yeah that's that's a good way to 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 skip the line (laughs) yeah i've not regretted it it's an awesome instrument Mm oh so cool and such a great guy kevin's a good dude yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um gosh now i'm just like completely like a little flabbergasted by the whole like not recording like we should be like 21 minutes in and it's my fault that we're only six minutes in so i mean i guess the question is at this point like do we want to just get into the topic uh talk about our sponsors and get into the topic andrew uh i i mean sure don't ask me what's new with me Oh, I thought you were talking about getting stung by the bee. That was the new thing, but that I guess that was quite old. That was like I'm... a year ago. Yeah. No, well, everyone missed the story, but just to be clear, Andrew did not listen to other people when he did something that everyone said was a bad idea and was going to get him stung. And you're actually, I kind of think you're lucky you only got stung once, to be honest. Uh, I mean, that's probably true. Because was it hornets, you said? Yellow jackets. Actually, or was it bees? Okay, I think they can sting more than once, too. They can, and it's not fun. Uh, I'm pretty sure I killed the one that was stinging my leg. Like, I smacked it really hard. I kind of, like, dangled off by the stinger for a second and then fell. Ugh. Oh, God, that's the worst. <laughs> was, that really gra- was that too graphic? Should I should I have warned everyone? <laughs> no, 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 that was, like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry, go. What is new with you, Andrew? Uh. 
nothing is really new with me in the gear world this week, but I did uh, on a food level. I made carne asada tacos this week, and I'm feeling oh, pretty nice. good about it. I, uh, nice. I, I did flank steak, and I make my own carne asada marinade uh, using uh, a number of things. But one of the things that just really makes it pop is using dried chilies. So uh, yes, used a bunch of guajillo chilies. Uh, usually I use a combination, but that's all I had left in my stash. And I didn't want to venture out too far in search of just one ingredient. Um, so yeah, no, I did the whole marinade, sat it, uh, let it, the flank steak sit for 24 hours, and then uh, brought it out, seared it over charcoal, got some hardwood lump charcoal going pretty dang hot with a couple chunks of hickory mixed in for some good flavor. And then, yeah, chopped it all up, threw it over uh, onto some tacos. No sour cream because that would be terrible. That's not what a taco is. You don't put sour cream on tacos. That's that's evil. That's wrong. I, I, okay. We'll disagree agree on that to, one. Agree to disagree, yeah. Yeah, I'm not about to get into how, like, rude that is. But if, if we're going uh, for, like, authentic taco truck style tacos, yeah, no sour cream. But that's no one's going to tell me what to do in my taco. You're, my taco, my choice. Absolutely correct. Putting sour cream on a taco is rude. I, I agree with you. So that's more or less <laughs> what's what's new with me uh, for this week. We'll see what happens next week. I think the plan is to. I think I'm gonna in this next week. I'm gonna play some more uh, some heavy metal stuff. I'm gonna have a little bit more fun in the heavier side of things. Oh, that. Cool. Oh, I take that back. Okay, I, one one more thing. Since since I'm already talking, you guys have my attention. Uh, I tried something new with my setup. So I've got my board, which is uh, my pedal board is set up with an Iridium on it. So I can go direct. And I've just been plugging the board into my amp at home and turning the Iridium off. Um, just for playing at home. Like, yeah, one amp in the chain is enough. And then I had this thought to myself. I'm like, wait a minute. What would happen if I ran the Iridium into the Deluxe? Not supposed the, the, to. Yeah, the Emmanuel says do not. <laughs> But I did. Yeah, I think a lot of people have. And I actually kind of liked it. I was running the uh, the AC30 model into the front of my uh, Tone King Deluxe. And oh, wow. Something about the combination of that worked really de- – it, it wasn't like a huge sound, but it definitely sounded decent. Uh, and I actually kind of liked it. Did you say Tone That's King cool. or is it Tone Master? Uh, it's a tone master. You are correct. I am wrong. Uh, I misspoke. Uh, Fender Deluxe Reverb Tone Master. It's like, when did you get a Tone King amp? Is that a thing? Yeah. Am I misremembering? No, what Tone Kings are is? great. But yeah, that's, okay. that's that is cash money. And uh, I am not very cash money. So That wasn't very cash money of you. That's I, an old meme, isn't it? It's a meme that doesn't get enough respect. And I think it needs to be resurrected more frequently because it's it's just very appropriate very frequently i like it I was, i'm i'm old enough that that i still remember basically all the memes my kids tell me because i that's how i communicate with them it's we the, there's also like you probably had memes when the internet was young like i did i'm probably just a little bit younger than you and uh we had lots of memes back then too, but they were just not called memes quite yet. <laughs> yeah. I I bet you're more than a little younger than me. I'm 31. I am I don't know how 40, old you are. 
I'm 44 this oh, this month. Yeah, that's. I have I have two two of my kids are out of the house. <laughs> I have two adult kids who are gone. <laughs> I have no children. <laughs> I'm not a regular I, mom. I'm an old mom. <laughs> when I, I, I'm I'm an old dad that feels even older, <laughs> and my bald head. I think you're te- that technically makes you a young dad. My my, <laughs> did we talk last last week about this, Andrew? Like my grandmother was like in her early forties when she became a grandmother. That that uh, sounds yeah. about right. I mean, that's where I, that's where my my folks are in their their early forties when I I had right. my wee one. Yeah. All right. Mm. Oh, so I children. Got, I ended up speaking into gear. I ended up with a. A tone master. I was oh. kind of getting rid of stuff and trading around, but I wanted the the new pod, the Line Six Pod Go, which is very cool. And I ended up trading a bunch of stuff and getting rid of my Princeton because I have a Benson that I really like, and so I never play in the Princeton anymore. And so I wanted. I ended up with a tone master, and I got rid of my um, Strymon stuff and my um HX stomp and and got the the pod go which is freaking awesome actually I don't know if Cole told you this but our our cousin is in charge of the helix division over there oh. her cousin's husband what? yeah oh I'm sorry wow. say that again uh Eric Klein at over at line six he married our cousin so we keep in touch with him and he's in he's in charge of uh, of the Helix division, you know, the Helix was his baby. And so we kind of, uh, check out all his new stuff, but like the, the stomp, the HX stomp was just too complex for me. I liked it and I liked playing around with it, but it, it was kind of too many options and I didn't understand them all. And I got lost. Um, and Eric was like, you need to try the pod go because it's meant for, playing around with the normal stuff. I mean, stuff that 99% of the guitarists want to use. And it's totally true. It's easy to use and you have a lot of cool effects and amp sims and cab sims, but I don't get lost and I can just play it. So I, nice. I love that thing. So check out that Paco. Oh, I even want to get my hands on that. It seems like a really, really solid entry-level price point with more than entry-level uh, like delivery, because you figure yeah. that, they're selling that for what five or six hundred. Well, the HX oh, Stomp like is six hundred. Yeah, no, the Pod Go is four fifty, and the whole point was to get to an entry level price point. But it's got it's got most it's got most of the functionality of the Helix or the HX Stomp, um, but the processor is smaller, so a few things get booted. But basically, everything I want. Um, and it has a, you know, it has kind of the signal chain set up in in normal ways <laughs> that, that most of us want to deal without without you know spending hours um, fiddling and seeing if we find something new. But there's just a whole lot of nice tried and true signal paths that uh, right right go through. I I really do like it, and for four fifty, it it was a killer. Yeah, I mean, and it's that's... smaller than my pedal board, even. 
Yeah, yeah, it's nice and small. Still has the treadle there, and I usually don't use a volume pedal, um, so it's been nice to play around with that a little bit. And my kids like it. Well, like I just, I mean, I've got a Strymon Iridium as my amp on my pedal board, and that's four hundred bucks. I mean, that's eighty percent of the way to the price point of the go, and that doesn't even have anything else built into it. So, just oh, thinking yeah. about it from that perspective is like, wow. Um, so I think that's one of the things I'm recommending, like my church gets just as a house pedal board, doesn't need to be super fancy. And the idea is, uh, any of the teenagers or any of the young adults who come on with their electric guitar and just want to plug and play with the church equipment makes it so much easier to do. And when you got equipment's getting shared around like that, that just makes a whole lot of sense. Um, previously it was like the, the Helix floor was great for that, but that's also 1500 bucks. And so trying to convince a church with a limited budget to spend 1500 bucks versus 500 bucks. I mean, that's, that's a big difference. Yeah, totally. And it's very cool. I, I, Eric showed me around um, his offices uh, like two years ago. um, And he was showing me some of the stuff they do to, to make the realistic models, uh, you know, the digital models of amps and cabs and uh, all sorts of things. And just the, the stuff they had in these rooms under lock and key, tons of vintage stuff, uh, you know, the most expensive and sought after amps and pedals and guitars. And it was, it was just so awesome to stand there and say, yeah, this is what I do for work is I just play this dumble and, you know, we try to capture the sound. <laughs> right. That's so I, I kind of yeah. like your job more than my job right now. Are they Man, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to be like, that sounds awful. Because <laughs> then everyone's so- going to be like, your ear is terrible if you don't like recreate it just the way they want. Also, man, that's just like, that's a lot of little AB, like changing things and then changing them back and then changing them again. It's like, imagine if you just like were at the, at the optometrist's office and they had that thing in front of you and they were scrolling through those, but it was like your job to not, not make your vision say that you like, but make your vision look just like some, like something else that already exists. Wow. No hard pass. Well, speak for yourself uh, as someone. Uh, so my day job is more like uh, engineering art architect um, for uh IT and audio video stuff. I mean, that's some of what I do already is a lot of AB work and trying to make, see what works and what doesn't. So taking that and kind of transferring it, that actually sounds really neat. I think I'd really enjoy that. All right. Talk to that guy and see how much I'm sure he likes this job a lot. I just can't imagine. I can't, I don't have the patience for that. Like my writing, it's like 80% of the way there. And then I ship it. I'm not, I don't have the mindset for perfectionism at all. <laughs> well, yeah, he doesn't do all the a being himself. Let's put it mm-hmm. that way. He just he just no, he's, does the he's the big boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yikes! Yeah. All right. Um. So let's thank our sponsors. Yay! I like being. I like thanking people. That's, that's always nice. <laughs> yeah, hand it to yourself today. It sounds like. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I like to be positive. Granted, that's not really a great word in 2020, but. Oh, I get it. All right. <laughs> it's, 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 a really, it's a COVID joke. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, our first sponsor is a Spun Loud Effects based out of Seattle, Washington. They just released the Blister and Peel V2. And that's a dual 
I don't I, I struggle to call it a dual fuzz um, because it can be a dual fuzz, but can it also it can also be a fuzz and a clean boost or a fuzz and a light overdrive and a fuzz and a distort like the the sweep on the blister side it it go, really does go from clean boost to nasty verge of octave fuzz. It's really great work. And it's Andrew's favorite color. Yeah, it's orange. And as we discussed last week, uh, our, if we want COVID to stop, we need to buy more orange things. And I know that that might seem like pie in the sky, kind of like, whoa, like, come on, man. You, let's be a little bit more reasonable. Like, no. When like, Andrew says buy orange things, he means buy orange face masks and wear them everywhere. Sure. Uh, I suppose that would probably be very effective since that's what, you know, all of the doctors are telling us to do. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, sorry, that came out sounding way more sarcastic, but I really meant that sincerely. Like, wear a mask. It's not that hard. It's not. Um, it's really not. Um, anyways, it's no. literally the least you can do to for to to show your love of others. I'm a fan of it, um, but you know, I'm you know, I'm just a guy who believes in a certain religious belief system that's about protecting the vulnerable and serving others before yourself. So, you know, what am I saying? I think the sarcasm came across in that one. There we go. There we go. I'm working on it. Anyways, buy orange masks or buy whatever mask. Just wear a mask. And uh, also buy Spun Loud because they're good people and it's a really cool unit. And it's also orange. So if you buy a mask and you buy an orange Spun Loud, pedal then i think that's that's pretty much the trifecta of perfecting the year 2020 and i i I really strongly recommend it was that three things yeah it's it's an orange it's a fuzz and a mask okay i thought you two orange things i thought you were calling two orange things a trifecta i mean it's a dual pedal so if you think of it as two pedals in one it's like uh the the it's like the Trinity, but instead of three, it's two. But that's also a really terrible theological analogy that I'm not going to dig into too don't hard. Don't start. Don't start. Don't start. Don't start. Don't stop start. Me now. I'm having such a good time. Uh, so well, who's our other sponsor? I haven't heard of these schmoozers. Right. Uh, other sponsor is going to be Fox Cairo. And I promised I would deliver this in less than 60 seconds. And I'm also counting 60 seconds from when I started. Mm-hmm. So I've got, so got- about... 50 seconds left 50 to go. Seconds no, left. 45 yes. seconds. 45 seconds. All right. So in 45 seconds, uh, 42, I'm going to tell you that I've actually been having a huge blast running Fox Cairo lately. Uh, for those of you who have bought a pedal topper, thank you so much. For those of you who have bought a custom pedal topper, you guys are the real MVPs. And so here's here's how this works is you go to the website and you scroll through the list of artists that I've partnered with. I've partnered with a list of artists, uh, mostly in the guitar community who are also graphic and visual artists, you scroll through, check out their portfolio, see what you like. And if you like something, reach out to them, send them an email, say, Hey, I want X, Y, and Z. They'll design it for you. And then I'll make it for you. And you get the chance to pay the artist directly. And I can think of no more beautiful thing. And that's my ad roll. Okay. I think you did it. It's close, but I think you made it. It was close, but I made it just under just. Yes. 60 seconds or less, uh, like a pizza, yes. except no pizza shows up in 60 seconds or less. That's really meant to be 60 minutes. So, uh-huh. 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 So, um, let's, let's dig into the topic, which is, um, I think a, a lot of, uh, so there's a lot of armchair lawyers out there 
who are hey. who want to talk about like current i'm guilty of it for sure um as far as we when we hear about trademarks and copyrights and patents and people get them all confused they're very different things um and people especially when anything happens involving gibson taking legal action it seems to be especially loud specifically for gibson taking legal action because they i think that we're at a point where people expect it from gibson um for, so, for a variety of reasons earned yeah. or not earned gibson's kind of received this reputation of being a little bit litigious uh and whether or not i think that's justified i think is a, a separate conversation altogether but i think today it would be really helpful to look at uh, something that's been brought up recently which is gibson's legal uh discourse with satellite amplifiers uh, or more, more specifically adam grimm the man behind satellite amplifiers and so what the goal is today is just kind of run through and take a look at some of the bits of the case here and mm -hmm. in our best attempt to be objective to kind of take ourselves out of it because we uh, consider ourselves to be friendly to small builders and want to support them as much as possible uh, we're going to try and take ourselves out of that bias and just sit back and say okay well what's actually going on here why is this happening? What are the actual rules surrounding what's happening? Um, and just to clear people up, uh, satellite amplifiers um, makes and has made for the past several years uh, their own version of the coronet, which was an, originally an Epiphone guitar, um, a very kind of uh, hipster popular, I guess. Like it's it's Epiphone like released it, a lot it in more 1959. Now. It's a double cut, single slab body. Um, a little on the thin side and honestly is it was their response to fender guitars because they were just getting their butts kicked um that is the rumor on the street is that it's exactly rumors. a telecaster just with an extra cut so it's a double well, cut regardless uh, well we're okay we're, we're really getting farther away from it but um so epiphone had previously made guitars called coronets and uh now satellite amplifiers makes guitars and they've named their model the coronet not a c model not a other cutesy name but actually calling it a coronet which they're calling it a coronet it looks like a coronet it's got the same body shape and yes uh it's got a different headstock i think but it's uh the same pickguard shape i mean there it's very clearly what it is um mm -hmm. right so i mean it couldn't be more clear so right. now Gibson, even though um, Adam was able to get a, pat a trademark on the name Coronet because it hadn't been previously registered by Gibson or had expired, I'm not sure. That's something that we can talk to Clint about. Right. But, so um, the yeah. information on that specifically is Gibson stopped making production models in 1999 and they have not made it since. The argument that Gibson's brought forth in a response is that they've been making it occasionally for signature artists on the side and offering that, and that gives them their claim. But mm -hmm. that's where it starts to get into the gray area of how long does it, how long does a company have to neglect a patent if, in fact, they were neglecting a patent before it's fair so, game to others? Yeah. So let's 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 start let's let's start asking Clint some questions. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Clint, yeah. let me just start with it's saying a trademark issue, not a patent issue. Right, right. Did, yeah. I know I said patent at least once, so I meant to say trademark. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'll fix it in post. No, I won't. <laughs> yeah, no, you. <laughs> nah. But yeah, I mean, pat patents and trademarks are different things. This is, and this lawsuit looks like it's a 
um, an issue in front of the trademark office. It's not like in a district court or anything. Right. It's specifically not a lawsuit. All as far as I'm aware, um, that's been reported. It is a it is a lawsuit. It is a lawsuit. It's just before the trademark trial and appeals board. Oh, okay. I, I stand corrected. This is why yeah. we bring you on. This is why I, I so, should never be an armchair lawyer. Is satellite being is satellite being sued then? Is that what that means? Yeah, it's a it's a petition for cancellation. So it looks like that satellite did register um, the Cornet trademark uh, with the Federal Trademark Office. And so they have a registered um, trademark and rights to it. And Gibson filed a, 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 a petition to cancel their trademark. So they've got to prove that um, the satellite doesn't have the right to use that trademark. Mm-hmm. So, um, is, is there a reason you think, or it looks like that Gibson is bringing this, this into the, um, bringing up this lawsuit now versus immediately after, or like five years from now? Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> and that makes it a little difficult. I mean, if, if, and I'm just totally speculating because I'm not involved in the case at all. Um, but my guess is that they want to do some kind of reissue, you know, yeah. Gibson filed for the trademark for coordinate last month. Um, and so they want to get a, they want to register a trademark for that, but it already exists. And that's why they're filing a, a petition to cancel. Um, it's Does true. The brands it, only have a certain amount of time before they can submit that petition. Like, do they have uh, to, like, is, is there like um, um, a statute of limitations on it? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's not re- well. No, it's not really a statute of limitations. But um, after after satellite, you know, registered or tried to register Coronet, it would have gone through prosecution with one of their examiners, and then when the examiner allows it, they publish it for opposition, and then you have uh, anybody has a few months to go and oppose that. Oh, just a few months. Um, yeah, and then not having wow. it opposed, then it gets registered, and once it's registered, you have to you have to petition to cancel it, which is harder than just opposing it. So, yeah, Gibson wasn't looking at the specific trademark um, when it was being prosecuted, so they didn't get to oppose it, and now they have to move to cancel it. I didn't see that Gibson ever had. Um, a registered trademark for Cornet. Maybe, maybe Epiphone did. I don't know. Have they, I don't know if they were ever a different entity. They were, they were bought by Gibson at um, a certain point is my so understanding. Maybe, yeah. Maybe Epiphone had a registered trademark, but um, mm-hmm. I didn't see one and there's certainly not one that's live. Yeah. Right I, so my uh, guess is, is they want to start doing something with that name. And so they're trying to, to clear the streets. Is it, is it odd that such a large brand wouldn't register a trademark for one of their guitar names? Like they're such a big brand. Yeah. I mean, and, and you go back and forth on whether you want to try to register every one of your models because you don't want to, you don't want your trademark to be the product. Generally, you want the trademark to be the company, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's uh that's why 
Velcro, Velcro had a had kind of an advertising blitz that was kind of funny where they were trying to get everybody to call it Velcro brand and not just any hook and loop to be Velcro. Oh, right, because they didn't want to become basically the generic name for it, like a yeah. Kleenex. Yeah, or a Band-Aid. Um, mm. Yeah, the, the word for that is genericide, where your trademark becomes so popular that it refers to the product instead of your business and it becomes generic. Yeah. Like so, I didn't realize onesie was one of those trademark words until I worked for a company that sold baby body suits and we had to call them baby body suits. I'm like, that is not as cute. That's not cute at all. No, no. Or like, uh, or like jet skis, you know, jet ski doesn't, isn't a huge brand anymore, but everybody calls them jet skis, which I think mm -hmm. is a huge which I think is a huge failure in our collective vernacular because we should have always been calling them motorcycles, in my opinion. <laughs> just, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I know, I just feel like brands a lot of times now they do register trademark names for all their products. I mean, I think Earthquaker has registered trademark names before their pedals were even announced or released. Is there, do you think there's a reason that brands would, like, is, is, is there another reason that people, I guess I don't really have a question there at all, do I? <laughs> no, I, I mean, the reason is, the reason is you want protection and if you can associate the word with your business, at least you have the presumption um, mm -hmm. of, the, of the federal registration and it, it can be useful. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was, uh, I was talking to a, a different pedal maker and he has, he has a registered trademark for each of his pedal names, but not for the, not for the company name, which I think is, is crazy, but Hey, I'm not his lawyer. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so basically Adam had seen, that there was no trademark register for Coronet. He decides to start making them. He trademarks the name. So those months go by. Gibson doesn't come after him. And now they're filing for the cancellation. Uh, and I know that you said it's harder to get the trademark back via a cancellation. Does it, is this something that happens often? And if it does, is it usually successful? Oh, it really depends. It happens a lot. I mean, I've been involved in a lot of trademark oppositions and cancellation proceedings. Um, they get ugly and painful and almost never go to trial because the fact-finding and discovery phase is a pain in the butt. Um, but, but yeah, uh, the thing about a trademark is the ultimate question is, are people going to be confused? as to where this guitar is coming from. Will people, will an ordinary consumer think this is a Gibson product, this is an Epiphone product, or it's somehow um, affiliated with or sponsored by or approved by uh, Gibson and Epiphone? And so Satellite might run into some problems because the reason they picked it was because it was an Epiphone model that has some certain following. On the other hand, they haven't used that name in forever. Uh, they, at this point, Satellite has a good argument that people don't associate newly made guitars 
with that name because you haven't sold that guitar under that name in a long time. And, and I think Satellite filed an answer last week. Yeah, and that's one of their grounds is that, look, if you ever had rights in this name, you abandoned them. Um, and there's, there's a bunch of different things to consider in abandonment. But, I mean, if you haven't used it in commerce in three years, I believe there's a presumption that you've abandoned it. So... Gibson, you weren't using it. We were. The rational consumers associate us with Coronet rather than you. Yeah, that we'll, makes we'll sense. See yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. They, they both have arguments. And what it comes down to is, you know, the judges on the trademark board are trying to see into the minds of an ordinary consumer. And since that's such a fact-based question, um, it tends to be more expensive because the fact-finding discovery is more intense. Um, you have to really develop and put forward your best arguments, and you just have to see what the what the judges say, and because that's an expensive proposition. Yeah, it might <laughs> depend on whether or not the judges play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, I feel like from, from a distance, you could, as Gibson say, like, hey, this is confusing. They're the same shape and the same name. I think that that could, I can see it. Yeah. But at the same time, if they haven't used this trademark, this this name even since the 90s, that's an, that's an odd one. Yeah. And there's several factors. There's, depending on the jurisdiction, but you look at at least six factors on consumer confusion. You look at how much the product costs, you know, you're, you're more likely to be mistaken if you're buying something for $3 at the checkout stand than you are if you're spending thousands of dollars on a custom guitar, you know, um, you look at the overlap in marketing, you look at, uh, Advertising means, oh, did I shut off here? Sorry. Um, you look at a lot of things to try to get into the mind of the consumer, and it's, and it's difficult because you're trying to get the judge into the mind of the consumer that you are putting forward without mm -hmm. letting the judge, um, you know, impose his or her own bias, uh, you know, what he thinks. I had a trademark case in the... 10th circuit um court of appeals and that was the biggest thing it was a three judge panel and i was trying to convince the lead judge that look you you can't you can't just assume that you're the consumer you're not allowed to say this is what i see therefore this is how i rule i mean the law specifically says you don't get to do that <laughs> right 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 it's, it's hard not to do that it's hard not to do that and say well I could be a consumer, you know, how do you know I don't buy guitars? So it, it, it gets complex. It can get expensive. Um, it's possible that Gibson is just throwing a bunch of stuff up against the wall. And then now that satellite has answered and indicated that it's willing to put up a fight, uh, we'll probably see who wants to invest in that fight and how much. So here's a here's a question I wanted to to pose, and I'm not sure that this is, there's any validity validity to this, but 
the thought that had that kind of crossed my mind is so the cornet is one of a couple of different of epiphone models that all sport uh the same or very similar body shapes uh so one the two the two are one is the crestwood and the other one is the wilshire crestwood was a um was a cornet with more uh more on the the spec list um but that was discontinued in 1970 i think permanently and hasn't been reissued and then the other one which has been more contemporarily reissued is the epiphone wilshire it's got a very similar it was originally made with the same body uh that that symmetrical look and is was then modified to a slightly asymmetrical but still based on the coronet uh body shape and has been reissued as recently as 2009 would that have any bearing on whether or not uh, there's any claim to the coronet of saying hey hey under the name epiphone which gibson does own uh we we reissued a very similar guitar from that same era and lineup originally would that have any bearing on that Oh yeah, it could, and we'll see if they bring it up. But that, you know, raises another interesting question on whether the the body shape itself can be the subject of a trademark. Um, I think where we are now is it can, but the the history of guitars in general on the trademarking has been pay attention to the headstock and not the body. Because the body shape itself is is functional, it uh, it's how the guitar fits and feels and how you play it, and you don't get a trademark a function, um, and and this is where I think Fender kind of blazed the trail way back when, where they got some rejections on their body shapes and decided to just go ahead with the headstock shapes because you can make the headstock any shape you want. It's not really interacting with your body or, or how you're playing it. So that's, that's become the signal of, of origin identifier, you know, where the goods are coming from. And I think Gibson is trying hard to bring back the idea that the, that the body shape isn't all function there's a definite definite design element to it, but but they have they have history in the industry to fight against. Um, but I do think they they have filed a bunch of registrations for body types, uh, body shapes. So I think mm-hmm. I think they're I think they're fighting to overturn the presumption in the industry right now. Well, I mean, they would put a lot of builders potentially completely out of business if you if no one else could build a less paul looking guitar but how can they patent i'm sorry how can they like make a trademark claim possibly make a trademark claim against the body shape when their the, their own body shapes are modeled after bigsby guitars very clearly <laughs> and that the coronet as andrew was getting into is essentially like a telecaster with a mirror like down this like the middle of it right i mean yeah. it's shaped like a double cut telecaster with some more beveled edges instead of the cutting board shape uh that the fender telecaster has always supported uh, something i do want to point out real quick before we get too far past the headstock is the coronet over the years has had a couple of different headstocks you've got the the one more pointing headstock with all six of the tuners on the top side uh with a couple of rounded cutouts on the bottom and the other one being is the three and three. Uh, I think there's the Kalamazoo headstock shape. I'm trying to dig here for a moment. Um, th- so 
then that's what the uh, what satellite's going for. So there is precedent for one of the two headstock shapes being the trademark. So I guess my question is, let's say, so let let's run with a, a hypothetical here for a moment. If Gibson is trying to register a trademark cancellation with it, and they go to read, uh, follow through with the trademark registration for the coronet, let's say that they win. Are they able to trademark both headstock shapes under the same name, or would they have to pick one? No, they'd be they'd be different registrations because the mark we're talking about now is just the word mark, so it's just the word coronet, right? Okay. Nothing to, like completely separate from the body shape. Yeah, and it would be they could file a separate design mark for the body shape, and they'd have to file a couple of different design marks for the different headstock shapes. But yeah, the the fight right now is just using the word coronet. Okay, so that's that's helpful. So theoretically, satellite amps could continue making them just under a different name if they decided to, to if they end up losing or give this up. Yeah, and you know, Gibson could come after them if they had rights in something. But so. Here's one of the questions I, I want to ask out of a sense of honest to God, journalistic, trying to understand how the industry works from a business perspective. Uh, it, it, the question is, is Gibson doing this? Um, it, okay, so for reference, a lot of big companies, it's pretty normal for litigation to be ongoing between competitors and just kind of have it, have those wheels constantly spinning. Uh, and I know that Gibson's been purchased by a very large company. Uh, I think KKR is the the hedge fund manager company that owns them at this point. Uh, and so I, where my headspace in this is a lot of smaller builders tend to operate on more of these handshake kind of, hey, I, I don't be a jerk to you. You don't be a jerk to me. We kind of just work it all out. And this is a community. And now we've got Gibson, which is a much bigger player that's more big business minded. And regardless of whether or not that's considered taboo in the amongst the smaller builders of the industry, business is business. So is what is this level of business operation kind of normal? Is this strange? Would you classify this as aggressive? I mean, what are we looking at here? Because part of the, what I've heard a couple of people say is like, well, this is just how business works. And small builders can complain all they want, but this is just kind of how the game is played. And Gibson is just playing the game well. So I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on that in a, in a as journalistic of a sense as possible. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the idea that, the, that we have an efficient industry on the smaller side, I, I think may look good and you may want to believe that. But, but I do have several clients... Um, you know, boutique builders and mid-sized builders in this space and the handshake deals don't always work. <laughs> uh, and I think, I think we don't like to make a big deal of them because there tends, because a lot of advertising word of mouth happens on social media. And when someone starts complaining about getting sued, um, there's a lot of backlash and even if that lawsuit's justified, I think some of the smaller builders who rely on social media, word of mouth, and 
and a, a kind of groups of, of followers or supporters, um, it, it makes them hesitant to go to the mattresses because it, it can backfire easily. But like you said, Gibson's a bigger player and they have, they may have different considerations. Um, and when you're in the trademark realm, the, the idea is if you're not protecting and enforcing your area of trademarks, you lose them. Um, because the more people that, that, that use a name to reference something or use a descriptor to reference something, the more that becomes generally accepted uh, and you just lose the rights in that because you're not enforcing. And it's different from a copyright or a patent because you get rights in those based on your creativity or your innovation. Um, trademark, you get rights in those based on your use and specifically on your exclusive use. So policing your trademark portfolio is one of those things that companies have to do, but they don't necessarily like doing it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like that could be someone's a bigger companies. Like a, I would imagine you have an entire team of lawyers and I don't know how smaller people, builders or creators who have trademarks even can police the use of them. Oh yeah. It's, it's actually pretty easy. You just have a, you have a Google alert or you have um, an alert on the trademark site. So when, anything you're interested in in your space or any of your registrations or names pop up is being filed for or approved, you get a notice and then you get to file that opposition instead of the cancellation proceeding. Mm -hmm. Gibson, Gibson wasn't monitoring this during the time it was yeah. being prosecuted. So now they're, they're, they're trying to cancel it after the fact. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And I, I think it's interesting that you, you brought up the uh, kind of dispelling the, the notion that I introduced the conversation of this, the handshake deals and the in the more boutique end of the industry. And I think that's important to understand that not necessarily all of our favorite builders are lawyer free and just kind of running with it. Um, I, cause that's yeah. something I've, that's an argument. Some I've heard of them hire jerks like me even. So there you go. <laughs> that's not very uh, punk rock of them. <laughs> but business is business. And so I, I, I find myself feeling, I'm going to stick, stay away from sharing what my feelings are, but I, I think there's a, there is a, a relatively fair argument to be made that Gibson is doing what it just needs to be doing to protect its intellectual property. And it just depends on how you look at it. I think yeah. that argument is, has some I mean, validity. They, they, you could make that argument. On the other hand, is this even their intellectual property anymore? Has it? That's, that's the question. Isn't it? <laughs> it's yeah, like, again, they haven't used it since 1999, like officially. Uh, they, they, ostensibly knew about this trademark or they knew that these guitars were being made. Certainly they have talked to the builder. They've taken pictures of his guitars at the NAMM booth. Um, and so that, that's what, where it is for me in, in kind of bad, weird things. I mean, I think one thing that's funny and uh, is that 
So Fender and Gibson both have Marauder, have made guitars called Marauders. First, Fender made them in, from like 66 for a couple of years and later in like the 90s, maybe. But then in the 70s, Gibson came out with their Marauder. So I just think I just think that's kind of funny that here Satellite is is paying homage to these guitars that they love. And they're calling them cornets. And and they're actually cornets. But yeah. back in the 70s, Fender, um, well, Gibson started making Marauders that, you know, they weren't like the Fender Marauders, not at all. I mean, I find that would think that would be just as confusing. <laughs> so which well, Marauder is it? Which I mean, there's there's a number of cases you could look at. Um, before we run out of one. time, one of the questions I wanna I wanted to kind of throw Clint's way um, sort of on the same topic is – one of the other things I've heard from a lot of folks is like, Hey, why can't Gibson be more like Fender? Fender's pretty cool with every, like with the Sir uh, of the world. And there's so many folks that make Fender style guitars that are out well, there. They call and them doing... S style and T style. Right. Uh, Tom cool. Anderson and Nash, and you can go through the list. Uh, so is, is that really the case? Is, is it truly in fact that Fender is super chill with this and they're just going with a, yeah, guys go for it. Or is there something more at play that, provides less of a contrast between the two juggernauts in the industry for guitar builders. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it, it depends on what their, um, what their trademark philosophy is. And, and we're just talking about, you know, one area of their IP portfolio, but we know, we know that back in earlier days, Bender made the conscious decision to say, we are, um, we're basing our trade dress on the headstock, not on the body. And the body becomes fair game, and it, it would be really hard for them to go pull that back now. Now, if if someone, they have, I'm sure they have registrations on Stratocaster and Telecaster. I'm sure they're not happy when people say this is a, a Stratocaster. They probably get a cease and desist and change it to S-Style, you know? And mm-hmm. Similarly, Gibson won't be happy if people call their guitar a Les Paul style kind of thing. So it, it, it kind of just depends on where they've decided to draw the line and what the execs think. Um, and, you know, honestly, what their team of attorneys tell them. And, you know, the attorneys might say the same thing. You, you, if you want these rights in your portfolio you have to enforce them. Otherwise you risk losing them. And, you know, Gibson's changed executives a couple of times and, and maybe they're just coming to terms with where they want to draw that line. And mm-hmm. they're, maybe they're drawing the line too far forward and, and maybe they'll get pushed back. Maybe they'll decide it's not worth paying their lawyers so much to go after everything. Um, but maybe they want to maybe they want to cement their namesake in the industry. So yeah. I, I, I do think it's a it's a business decision. Are you look do you look like you're overreaching, or are you effectively giving away your innovation and your name rights? And you know, as the lawyer, we explain the pluses and minuses and say you have to make a decision. 
Um, how much do you want to push? How much do you want to pay us to push? Um, knowing the pluses and minuses of what, what the outcome could be. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I think Fender, I, I think Fender seems to play nicer because it doesn't go after. Yeah. It doesn't go after what looks like homage, you know, mm-hmm. but in, in this, in this case, Gibson has the argument that look, you're, you're making a guitar that looks like our guitar and you're using the name that we used. The only reason you're doing that is to call attention to our guitar. So you're, you're trading, you're trading on our designs. You're enriching yourself on our designs. And, but then satellite says, well, yeah, but you threw away the design. (laughs) You haven't used it in decades. Right. Right. And (laughs) I have a question. Is it, is it, will it be, do you think it, in your opinion, as someone who doesn't have like an intimate understanding of the case, would it, would it basically be the end of it if Gibson can prove that they were making coronets during, no. during this supposed, it wouldn't make a difference or it wouldn't be damning? If, oh, if they could prove they were making them? Yeah. If they could prove they were making them. Yeah. And they, they have to prove that they're, well, and we go back to the name because it's the five years over the name coronet. They have to prove that they were using the name in commerce during that time. This can, can commercially mean, does it have to be, does it mean it has to be advertised on the main website or if it's like in some catalog that people can take a look through when they're choosing what guitars they want to, um, that they want to have a coronet built like what is that commercial if it's something that you offer but maybe like as the secret menu yeah definitely i mean if you can prove you were using it in commerce but then if your use is de minimis it doesn't have the the weight that if you were using it freely and 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 to a large extent so we go back to trying to convince the judge that, that you did use it and a little bit of use is, is good enough to go over, to overcome the argument that you abandoned it. Mm-hmm. So, it, so it, like, it, like it, other that, things, it's not a black and white issue. No, no. And that's, we, we, we call them issues of fact, you know, it's because it's not clear cut. Um, the judges have to weigh a bunch of stuff on the right hand and a bunch of stuff on the left hand. And the lawyers argue their side as hard as they can and then just cross your fingers <laughs> that the judge sees it your way. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but yeah, I don't, I don't think this is one that, that is, that's totally one-sided. Um, you know, that said, that said, is it, <laughs> how much of a fight is it worth? You know, um, mm-hmm. it, are, are both sides ready to spend, you know, $25,000, $250,000 over this name? Or once each side spent thirty grand, are they going to come to an agreement? No. I know what happens in almost all of my cases that are trademark oppositions and cancellations. <laughs> they usually settle? Yeah, you settle because... Yeah. And that's and that's a big part of my job, actually, is saying, you know, IP is about 
money, it's economics, it's a lot of ones and zeros and decimal points. And half of my job is saying to the client, if you're not emotionally invested in this, is it worth writing me another $25,000 check to deal with it? (laughs) (laughs) That'll, that'll, That'll make people think. Yeah, and then and usually they say, well, but I am emotionally invested, and, I get, and then I have to say, okay, just so you're realizing that the $25,000 check you're going to have to write is based on your emotion. If you're okay with that, let's move forward. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Cool. Um, well, this, this – okay, I'm – can I just go off topic really quickly? Cause there's another kind of trademark dispute in the music industry that I would just like, I have one question about it really, truly uh, actually maybe two, but are you familiar with the lady a saga at all? No. Oh no. Okay. Well, do you know the band lady antebellum? They're a country band. Uh huh. Well, they announced that they were going to change their name to Lady A. And when they did, there's a, a singer in Seattle who's been going by Lady A for 20 years. But about 10 years ago, the band Lady Antebellum took out trademark on Lady A. However, they've both been existing in the same industry for at least 10 years with the band having this trademark and the singer performing, doing it to make money never getting a cease and desist or any sort of letter from them. They claim they didn't know that she existed. I I just don't understand if that trademark should have been granted, how she would have possibly known to check to, to oppose it. And if they've not been enforcing it for the past 10 years against someone who's probably played, you know, similar festivals to them because she's country, uh, their country and she's blues. It's just such a weird case. I don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah. So Lady A didn't have a registration, right? She did not. Just a little little singer-songwriter type. Not, well, more than that, but like versus the major label country stars. Right. So that'll be interesting because you don't have to get a registration to have trademark rights. I mean, just using your name in commerce gives you certain rights. Um, and you'll see it a lot. You'll see some, you'll see a brand name that says TM and that just means trademark. I'm using this name as a trademark to refer to me as the source of these goods or services. Um, and that's fine. And the strength of your common law trademark depends, um, basically on your fame uh, how well known is the trademark um, in what industry and how far geographically. And uh, so it's very common for two companies or two businesses or two artists to have the same name and to operate without running into each other, especially if they're in different industries or fields or different parts of the country. And so your trademark can be limited based on your use to your field, your industry, and your geographic location. Um, And then it's if those two brands start to expand and bump into each other, then there can be a problem, which is probably what happened here. So 
they they now that they're expanding and start to overlap, they realize that there's a problem. Um, and so maybe the one can show prior use and fame in one geographic location and the other can show it in a different one. The one with a federal registration has a presumptive right all over the country because it's on the federal register and therefore enforceable um, everywhere in the federal republic. Uh, and, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> generally, yeah. generally um, in a case like that, how I mentioned, we almost always settle. Um, we enter into a coexistence agreement and we just basically say, here's, here's our lines in the sand. You don't come into my half of the sandbox. I don't come into your half. Or maybe there's a gray area where we're both allowed, but don't go any further and I won't go any further. That can happen. Um, but if you're dealing with it in federal court, and one side has a federally registered trademark, uh, or you see the circle R, that means your trademark is registered. Um, that that side has a presumption of of use based on the the filing of the trademark. So, right. yeah, yeah, it's good. That's it's good to get the, it's good to get the registration. Um, yeah, when in doubt, register uh, register your yeah. trademark. Say. Yeah. All right, so I've got one more question before we uh, release you from from the uh, the hold we've got on you. Is, <laughs> so the, one of the concepts you brought up is it's based uh, it's going to be based on the judge's assessment of what the consumer market thinks. Is there anything that the consumer market can do to sway things one way or the other if they feel strongly about supporting either Satellite or Gibson in this? Oh man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like, is this I the mean, sort of thing where, so, like, if you get 100,000 signatures on a petition or something like that, where it would have any bearing? I mean, you could maybe I, give money to Satellite for his legal defense. <laughs> yeah, you could do that. I mean, it, it, it's possible. And then, then the one lawyer could bring that up. Hey, look at all these people who associate coordinate with Satellite. Um, yeah, that could be evidence to help, but you know, if this is a case that's worth lots of money, you hire a survey expert to be an expert witness, and he takes he or she takes a survey, um, and then you produce those results and testify about them to the court. Here's what a survey of a thousand people in the industry is, and they say they identify coordinate with satellite. And then the other side does the exact same thing and say, no, that survey is wrong because it's using too small of a subset of the relevant consumer base, or they ask questions that were biased toward one side or the other. Here's my survey, and it says that people associate it with Epiphone. So honestly, no, it just depends on the lawyers and the experts to make the argument. Mm. Well, cool. Yeah. I I figured that was a question that a lot of our listeners would be interested in hearing. Yeah. Uh, and sorry, I really sorry. appreciate you answering sorry, that. It's not, sorry, it's not uh, less cynical. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's totally all right. I mean, there's, it, we're, we're definitely stepping into a world where it's not necessarily the layman's uh, 
Yeah, not, um, not the realm. Not necessarily it's the layman's fine. realm. It, not, nobody can be an expert in everything, and I'm not sure I would ever expect everyone to be experts in IP law. But we, yeah. we're all reacting to this because so many of us are so invested in uh, the the companies involved in, whether we, we're friends with any of the parties, et cetera. I mean, there's, this is people's livelihood at stake and people's livelihood that we resonate with. And so there's always going to be that gut response. And so... The follow the follow up to that is well, what is actually going on? And uh, I think you've given us a really good picture here of getting a, a decent picture as to what that actually looks like in reality, what's going on behind the scenes, helping understand the details of this particular case. And I think that helped in the future will help me inform my understanding of other similar cases that are bound to pop up. So we really appreciate. It. I think this is really invaluable information. And we really appreciate totally. you coming on the show to uh, share that with us. Yeah, no problem. You know, I hope you get a couple listeners who nerd out over IP like I do. So. I think a lot of more people <laughs> do than, than than you might think. Uh, my husband especially will very much enjoy this episode. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. But um, if you are, uh, if you enjoyed this episode of Get Offset, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. Um, we also have a YouTube that you can subscribe to. Check out demos there. Uh, and other fun content in, in the works. Uh, hit us up at getoffsetpodcast.com. You can find a link, link there to our Patreon if you want to support us on Patreon. You can support us for as little as a buck a month. For 25 bucks a month, I will write you a song. I'm currently uh, in the process of writing a song for our first ever $25 a month Patreon, Noah Burnett. Woo! Woo-hoo! So, uh, yeah, that's, Sorry, that's I, I, I meant to, I meant to say who, uh, but like in an owl sense, like, who, 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 who. yeah, no one likes owls. So everyone please, uh, send him owl memes. In fact, if you're, uh, as you're listening to this episode right now, please make an owl sound wherever you are and then look around and see who notices. Don't, don't chicken out on this. Like, I just seriously sit down and be like, who, and just wait for any responses. I guarantee you quality entertainment for a lot less money than drugs <laughs> okay well <laughs> thanks for listening thanks for understanding i guess is there anything else <laughs> i don't thanks think so that's the wrong podcast <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for understanding. My name is Andrew. I'm Emily. And I'm Clint, your blues lawyer. (laughs) Goodbye.